Mr. Benfica is a production of the PTB Media Network. All rights reserved. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher, CastBox, Overcast, Himalaya, Pod Paradise, TuneIn, Breaker, and now available on iHeartRadio, Radio.com, and also on Audible for Amazon Prime subscribers. As always, select episodes available on YouTube and, of course, at www.mrbenfica.com. Please like, share, and rate the show on your preferred platform. Enjoy the show. Benfica Nation, welcome to episode 147 of Mr. Benfica. I'm your host, as always, the Mr. Mike Agustinho. And what's that? What's that? Wait a sec. There's something in my ear. Hang on. Go Benfica! No way, no way, no way, no way. 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 No way. Follow the truck. Follow the truck. Follow the truck. É fora do jogo e Grimaldo para a esquerda. Não é gol, não é válido. Oh, not those guys again. Yeah, you've heard them all by now. In case you don't understand what they're saying, uh, that is, I think that's from Porto Canal. I don't even know who those guys are. But he, the commentator is just saying, no, it's not, no, it's not, no, it's not, no, it's not. That was the sound of the denial. And guess what? The fans of that club are still in denial. They're still crying like babies. Crying like babies. It is Tuesday. The game was on Friday. They're still crying like babies for once. The referees didn't help them out for once. They didn't get an assist from Mr. Swatish Diaz or anybody like that. And they are crying. That, that commentator saying, no, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. That was when Rafa put the ball in the back of the net. Benfica go up there. And who did they beat? Je ne sais pas. Je ne sais pas. Who knows? I don't know. Je ne sais pas. That's right. Uh, that is what we think of, of Football Club de Porto. We don't know who you are. You're a small club. And Benfica go up there. And they win one to nothing at the Stadio du Ladrão. Let's uh, break it down. All right. Um, we are about 51 minutes right now from kickoff between Benfica and Juventus. 
in the UEFA Champions League. I'm recording this while I'm at work. This is uh, this is um, something I haven't really done too many times, but I'm trying to pull this one off today. So in the first part of the episode today, we're going to talk Porto Benfica, the Clásico from last Friday. And then um, I'm going to work and pretend to work, I should say. And I'm going to watch uh, Benfica Juventus. And then after that, I'll be back with the second segment. So what it's going to sound like to you is the first segment will be Porto Benfica. The second segment will be Benfica Juventus, which is going to take place in just a little while. The lineups have come out. I'll talk about it when we talk about that match. Let's talk about Porto Benfica, the Clásico, the Estadio do Ladrão, the, the robbers stadium, if you will, in northern Portugal, in the city of Porto. And you, as you know, uh, João Pinheiro is the referee in this one. We already know that. A lot made out throughout the week. Okay, the, the game started. The tactics from that team started early. They started putting pressure on the referee from the beginning. Uh, the 170, the 172-year-old president of Porto came out once again, thinking he's in the liberal wars in the 1800s, and talking about centralismo again of the capital and the press, a empresa. That's right. You know, there used to be an awesome podcast called The Three Tugas, uh, where there was a fan of each of the big three. And the Porto fan in there used to always talk about the red press. Uh, see, the indoctrination of the fans of that club runs deep, and they all buy into this madness, buy into this nonsense, into these lies that they're somehow the victim of something. They are not the victim. They are the oppressor. If there's any centralism in Portuguese football, it centers around Pitu da Merda and his and his. Porto team, that's right, the blue and white prison stripes, and they got theirs on Friday, so uh, let's move to it then, and like I said, they, they put the pressure on the referee from the beginning, they, they started, they, you know, again, I talked about this in my debut episode of, of my new show that I just launched yesterday, uh, Liga 3 English, the, my coverage of the Portuguese third division, and um, the claims that <laughs> <laughs> the claims that the college player missed this penalty on purpose to lose it to help Benfica in because somebody went to his social media and realized if you go back about 10 or 11 years, you'll see a picture of him as a kid at Stadio de Luz wearing a Benfica shirt. That's how ridiculous this club is. That's how ridiculous, not just them, our other rivals as well were, were in on this. But this team really took it and ran with that nonsense. And... um you know, they just uh, they just ran with it, trying to somehow say that we needed help to win that match against the third division team. No, we the match played out the way it played out. Uh, we went to penalties, okay, and it finished the way it did. And to call it to question the integrity of of uh, of another team and another player, just disgust, absolutely disgusting, but expected behavior from these animals that are known as Football Club do Porto, and they are animals. Okay, as we'll talk about in this match. Let's look at the lineups now. Um, again, uh, we'll start with the animals. We'll start with the blue and white prison stripes. Diogo Costa is in goal. Uh, they go with Pepe at right back. Yeah, that was, that was an interesting decision. Uh, Fabio Cordoso and David Carmo, the center back pairing. Well, Zaidu Sanusi starts as the left back in midfield, the strongest part of this, of this team. The double pivot in midfield is the Colombian. Uh, Mateus Uribe and the Canadian, the Portuguese Canadian, Stefan Ustakiu. And uh, we're going to talk about him. He ended up being one of the big, big key uh, people in this match. But uh, 
I'm gonna I'm probably gonna come to his defense at some point in this in this episode. I must say, um, I'm actually shocked they haven't dug out his his skeletons because word out there is that he is also uh, he also grew up a Benfiquista. Um, yet nobody nobody's saying he got sent off on purpose now. Uh, surprising, because if he was playing for another club and, and that happened, you know they would have said it the same way they said it about Nuno Santos before he went to Sporting, and so on and so on. Um, but yeah, he gets the start alongside Uribe. Uh, Galeno starts down the left flank, while Octavio starts down the right. And uh, Otario, Otavio, whatever you want to call that imposter, whatever you want to call that disgrace, that cancer of a footballer, um, he, he can play the game, but he is as a, just as an example and as a person, an absolute disgrace. And he proved it once again in this match. And they're playing behind the two forwards, Evan Nielsen and the Persian pool diver himself. And, uh, he must, he must uh, be sad because he did not hit the pool at all in this match. In fact, he, the only time you noticed he played was on two occasions, one header on goal and the time he shoved Gonzalo Ramos in the back, um, Inadvertently saving him from a, a swinging closed fist from from uh, Otario himself, Medi Teremi. So those are the eleven for Porto. For Benfica, of course, Roger Schmidt comes out in a four-two-three-one as usual. Odi Vlakudimos in goal, and he made the save of the match, and this will probably the save of the season in this match. Uh, Alexander Ba gets to start again at right back. Antonio Silva, Nicolas Otamendi, the captain once again. The center back pairing, Alex Grimaldo down the left. Double pivot in midfield, as always this season. Florentino Luigi, my guy. Tino is in there with Enzo Fernandez. And um, we'll talk about Enzo as well because uh, he, um, he, was, he was a talking point, but not for the usual reasons, not for necessarily the right reasons. Um, he had a tough one in this one, but uh, well managed by, by Roger Schmidt. I think he... He uh, knew what he was doing in this one, and he he made sure that uh, Enzo uh, was not, you know, was not a an antagonist in this one, and was not the the villain when when all was said and done. They they start in the double pivot in midfield behind Auschnitz and João Mario playing wide, Rafa uh, playing in a number ten role behind Gonzalo Ramos. If you watch this game on television. Uh, the television showed it as a standard 4-4-2. Not really what Benfica did. Um, but again, uh, a good start for Benfica, I think. Um, and when I say a good start, I'm talking about before the onslaught. So uh, the big talking points coming out of this was that the first 15 minutes belonged to Porto. I rewatched this, okay? Uh, I rewatched the first half, I should say. Uh, just just a little while ago, watched it. I had recorded it on Goal TV in Spanish, so I'm getting a different different perspective. When I watched it live, I watched it in English with Nino calling Nino Torres, our good friend of the show, calling it for Goal TV um, in Spanish. Uh, I got their their opinions of things, so I, I may drop what they were saying as they were calling this match. But Benfica go right off the kickoff and go forward with it. End up winning a corner kick in the within a minute and. Um, it looked like they were going to try to put this one on the front foot. But Porto, in the fifth minute, came alive. And um, it started, actually, with the Benfica corner. This was this was a key early moment. Okay, and I'm going to talk about this sequence of events for a moment. Because following, following uh, you know, the, the action on Twitter as the match played out, 
A lot of people didn't get what happened here, and I saw a lot of criticism towards João Mario here. I'm going to explain this, what happened here, and how this is an actually very intelligent play by João Mario. But uh, anyway, it starts with a Benfica corner taken by Enzo Fernandez. Uh, it's originally driven into the box, cleared. Antonio Silva uh, tries to take a shot. It's blocked, and on the block, it comes out to Galeno. Galeno's in space. Uh, Antonio Silva is going to get on his horse and try to track back as fast as he can. João Mario is chasing as well. Galeno sees that he has the opportunity as he's crossing midfield. Uh, he's got he's got Grimaldo backing up and backing up and backing up. Grimaldo finally uh, holds his ground a good five to ten, maybe some somewhere between five and ten meters in front of the the penalty area, and as as Romario is closing in the space behind Galeno, uh, I think Romario recognizes what's happening. And Galeno is running at Grimaldo. And Galeno, in my opinion, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume in Romario's opinion as well, had no intention of trying to beat Grimaldo. I think what happened is Grimaldo was in a situation where he was the last man because Antonio Silva is out of position. If they're the only three back there with Galeno. And what, was, what Galeno was going to do was going to run at Grimaldo. We all know Grimaldo's Grimaldo's one-on-one -on -one defensive frailties, and I think Galeno wasn't even going to try to beat him. He was going to try to get the contact uh, to get taken down so that it would go to VAR, and then the VAR would, would rule that he was the last man, that it was a clear and obvious goal scoring opportunity, and he was going to try to get Grimaldo sent off here in the, in the early, early fifth minute. Okay, I think João Mario, being the intelligent, experienced footballer that he is, recognized this. He ran down Galeno, and he didn't give him that opportunity. He cut him down from behind while uh, while Grimaldo was still the last man so that there was no no cog, so no clear and obvious goal scoring or denial of a clear and obvious goal scoring. Uh, Dogso is, is the acronym for the denial of a clear and obvious goal scoring opportunity. And uh, that way it's just a yellow card. Dromario takes the yellow card to to keep Benfica with 11 on the pitch. This comes out crucial. I saw the tweet saying, what a dumb foul by by Dromario. No, it is not a dumb foul. I think it's a highly intelligent foul, in my opinion, because I think if he had not done that, Galeno would have gotten Grimaldo sent off, unless Grimaldo got lucky and somehow got the ball. But even then, you cannot trust referees in the Stadio do Ladrão, and this is not an attack on João Pinheiro. This is just a fact of the pressure they're put under, the pressure the VAR is put under. And um, if you had given him any excuse to send off a Benfica player here, he he may have been forced to do so. Grimaldo, I mean, uh, sorry, João Mario cuts that out, prevents that from happening. Uh, Porto try the try a trick play off the free kick as um, rather than than driving the ball in. It's just a simple touch, and then Otavio turns and swings it to the far post, to the back post, where Fabio Cardozo was looking to get on the end of it, but it ends up being harmless. No harm, no foul. Uh, Porto on top of the match again from there on for about 10 minutes. So from the 5th to the 15th minute, it was mostly all Porto. In the 10th, here's a controversial moment here. Galenu again in space. This time he's going down Porto's left side. He's running at Alexander Ba. And knows exactly what he's doing. He initiates the contact. He jumps in the air to make it look even more impactful. And he gets himself taken down. And João Pinheiro shows Alexander Ba the yellow card. Keep that in mind. This was the objective 
for Porto early in this match was to draw a yellow card so that then they can pressure the referee into sending off a Befica player. There's no question that this was in the plan. Um, when, when you look at it on replay, any contact that was there was absolutely minimal, and it was created by Galeno jumping into the leg of Alexander Ba. Nonetheless, he goes in the book in the 10th minute. In the 15th minute, again, Befica under pressure. So here's something we've seen when Befica play PSG, when, or going all the way back really to the Vitória Guimarães match, and maybe even before that, you know, is Benfica, when they're put under pressure in their defensive third and they're forced to play out of pressure, the mistakes have started to happen this season. Porto saw that. We saw it in Guimarães. We saw it against PSG. We saw it at Caldas even, and the Caldas coach was on, uh, José Vala was on Canalón saying they actually planned that the only way they could apply any pressure to Benfica was to intentionally give away goal kicks. They did that a few times in order to try to get a press and to try to create a turnover. We get a turnover here, okay, in the 15th minute. Uh, they swing it around slowly out of the back again. Benfica does against the press. And then what ends up happening is Grimaldo sends the ball from the left uh, touchline in towards Antonio Silva. Antonio forced to head it away, but he heads it right to uh, Mateus Uribe. Uribe. Uribe quickly finds uh, finds Zaidu Sanusi. Sanusi with a touch, knowing that Ba is already on a yellow card. Ba is, is kind of forced to just let him run by him. He does that. He loops a high looping cross into the box, and it's a good thing that this was a bad cross from Zaidu Sanusi, who is quite possibly the worst player in the big three uh, on a big three roster, in my opinion. I mean, this this guy. It's a good thing that this is this is what they've got in that position. He loops it so high. That, uh, that Mehdi Taremi not able to get enough power on it. He does get on the end of it, but he can't get as much power on it as, as he would want. And thus, and thus, uh, Odie able to make the save of the match, the save of the season up to this moment with his outstretched right hand. And he keeps that ball from crossing the goal line, makes a beautiful, beautiful save on Mehdi Taremi. And from that moment forward, Mehdi Taremi no longer is a factor in this match. He literally goes missing. You see his face on the milk carton after this one. He goes missing, and Befica start to settle down. After their goalie makes this big save, they start to settle down. It's literally on the rebound from that save that, uh, that Florentino Luis, who had already given away two or three balls, settles himself in, finds his pass, finds Enzo, finds Rafa in space. Rafa decides to turn and run. For some reason, Porto let him turn and run. He runs at them. He even gets a shot off. Diogo Costa makes the save without conceding a rebound because had he done that, Gonzalo Ramos was going to be there to tap it in. Um, a very good save, even though it looked routine, but it was actually harder than it looked from the Portugal number one keeper, Diogo Costa, at the moment. But from that moment forward, Benfica now starting to assert themselves, settling down. They would still make mistakes, but they were going to be they were much more settled at this point and they were able to move the ball better and, and create more opportunities. We saw it in the 22nd minute. We get a header, uh, a free header after a nice cross from Grimaldo. Finds Rafa's head, but Rafa's header goes directly at Diogo Costa in the center of the goal. Uh, squandered opportunity for Benfica there. And then we go, we get to the, the fun stuff. Okay, so in the 24th minute, uh, 24th minute, Alexander Ba wins the ball. Um, Befica start playing, and there's some sh there's some small touches there out of the back. 
And I think I think it was it was Tino who finds uh, Ba open again after receiving the ball from Ba, gives it back to Ba. Ba touches into space to beat Galenu and Ostakiu comes in late. I think this one was an honest challenge. He came in a little bit late, and uh, he he winds up like he's trying to kick the ball uh, through. He looks like he's trying to kick the ball through Ba's leg. I don't know why he's winding up like this instead of just containing. I know they're playing in pressure, but but Ostakiu comes right through his leg, clears him out. Uh, João Pinheiro, no option but to book the Canadian international. And um, it's interesting what, what this jersey does to a player, what, what the pressure of playing at this club, what the expectation at this Football Club do Porto is to an otherwise a very, very clean player. I mean, I raved many times watching him play for Canada, how disciplined he is in midfield and how he does not commit and how he... He controls the attacker and has him going where he wants him to go. In this play, he just comes in wildly, swings at it with his foot, comes in real late, gets by, goes in the book, and does not learn his lesson. Because three minutes later, in, in a play that actually was, was ten times worse than the one he was booked for, and I don't know why a player on a yellow card would do this other than the fact that he's had the Riva and the the insanity, you know, pumped into his brain since arriving at this club, especially for this game against Benfica. You know, they they fuel and they motivate on hate and on and on anger and rage. And their fans are like savages filling. <laughs> it's like being in the Roman Coliseum watching executions, the way they just spewing blood from them from their from their fangs. The Porto fans just bloodthirsty. Cheering these the these dirty challenges. Well, Ostakio gets his studs high. He's late again. Why he's stabbing at it on a yellow card is besides me. Completely loses his head. And quite honestly, lucky to only see a, a second yellow here. Because when you look at it on the review, there is no question. This play should have gone to the VAR. And I think the VAR just wanted to, to make sure João Pinheiro got out of this stadium alive, so they did not tell him to go review it because if he went to review this, he would have seen Ostakiu's studs caught Ba just inches below his knee. And then his studs rake down the front of the leg of Alexander Ba. This should have been a direct red. The Spanish language commentators on Goal TV agreed. This should have been a straight red. The, the play should have been revised by the video assistant referee. But but to no avail. Um, so Stefano Stakio or Stephen Ostakio, however you want to pronounce it, will be back on the pitch earlier than he should. And again, I've said this before. It's amazing how Porto can take this player, who is a clean player by and large. These were his first two bookings of the season to come in like like a bull chasing a cape in the bull ring. I mean, it's like he was in the can going after the cape. <laughs> and he just ran like a bull into Alexander Ba, gets himself sent off, and rightfully so. Like I said, this should have been a direct red. This should have been reviewed at the VAR. The second yellow should have been retracted, and it should have been a direct red with a lengthier suspension. Uh, Ostakio gets off easy on this one. And um, in the meantime, we also saw earlier uh, some short, chubby, bald executive from Porto go into the referee's book for a yellow card for protests on a 
a play that wasn't even a foul against Rafa in which saw Pepe fall hard. And that's because they both went up and Pepe left his leg out trying to draw the contact. And then Benfeito, he got spun around and he landed on his back and he was hurting. Benfeito. That's what happens when you play this type of game. Um, but the, the yelling at the referee and the getting booked, we'd see it again in the 43rd from Claudio Ramos, a goalkeeper who completely, who completely pissed his career away by going to Porto. He was on the verge of being in the, in the national team picture as one of the three national team goalkeepers when he was at Fondela. Decides to take the money, goes to Porto, and has rotted on their bench for several seasons now. Uh, he's also got a job to do, and that's to add pressure to the referee. He does that and takes a booking as well. Um, but those are the only bookings that Porto saw in this match. Those are the only bookings that they saw until the seven, until the second half. Um, meanwhile, Benfica get booked. João Mario, like we said, in the 6th. The Ba in the 11th. Enzo gets booked in the 37th. And, and Auschnitz booked in the 44th. Auschnitz, not even a foul. There was no contact. But again, the pressure is there. Every time there is a foul against a Benfica player, you have four to five Porto players surrounding the referee. Again, you have the Neanderthals in the stadium making all kinds of monkey noises, just just making animal sounds at the referee. I mean, when you look at the chart of the theory of evolution, right, that's in every classroom in the world, we are at the end of the chart, right? At the, uh, at the chart of evolution. Humanity is at the end. Homo, you know, the, the Homo sapiens, the, the, the modern human is at the end. To find a Porto fan, you have to go back about three steps. Porto fans are still hunched over, dragging their knuckles on the ground, eating raw meat. That, that is the fan base that they cater to. And uh, they, sh they show it in, in these matches. And, um, you know, Befica has the better of the play after that. From the 27th minute on, it, it is a, a fairly even first half. Porto still running around like crazy, you know, running on that adrenaline, on that on that raiva, on that raza that they that they 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 believe in, you know, and that they'll even eat dirt if they have to to beat Benfica. They there's so much that you know that is in their their wheelhouse in their core belief set that is all about this and very little about intelligence in the way they play football. And it finally caught up to them. And I'm proud that Benfica played the way they did. Especially, I'm proud that Roger Schmidt managed this match the way he did as the match went on. And, and uh, really, really uh, used it against Porto. Used it against Sergio Conceição. And this was a well-prepared for match. Uh, the entire coaching staff obviously did all of their homework. They'd seen uh, the, mo the more recent matches, especially the ones at the Dergão, uh, where, where Porto have been successful in, in getting Benfica players out of, their, out of their comfort zone, out of their mind, and just, just caving to the pressure that, the, that the, the crowd and the opposing players put on them. But not in this one. Benfica calm, cool, and collected. And we go to halftime, uh, nil-nil. So at the halftime interval, okay, Roger Schmidt, does what I think most of us expected in pulling uh, Alexander Ba and knowing that Porto was really trying to get him sent off. They were running at him. They will say to this day that he should have been sent off because of accumulation of fouls. These were small, normal fouls. These are never a booking. Okay, we have this, th this thing in Portugal, especially this club that we're playing against in this match. 
has this thing that when someone's on a yellow card, the very next foul has to be a second yellow, and the, or the one after that has to be a second yellow. No, normal fouls are not bookings. They are insane. They are out of their mind. They are delusional if they think that Alexander Ba should have been sent off in this match, should have got a second yellow card. They're gonna that is their that is their excuse. That is what they're gonna cry about. That is what they're gonna take with them. That's what's gonna let them sleep at night, knowing they lost in their own house to the team they hate more than anything in the world. And you know what? Power to them. Go ahead, be delusional. All you want. You have <laughs> 40 years of stealing victories and 40 years of pressuring referees and intimidating opponents with dirty tackles and and just all of the tricks in the book. You know, this time it didn't work. Suck it, Porto. Suck it. That's what I have to say to you. We go into the into the halftime uh, interval, like we said. Roger Schmidt makes these makes the coaching move of the season, really. Um we all knew that Ba was going to come off. Gilberto comes on for Ba because Ba is booked. And we knew they were trying to get him sent off. Also, um, David Nersh was not 100%. I agree 100% with Schmidt saving Nersh for the second half. Uh, waiting till Porto can, can um, you know, run out of that adrenaline a little bit and have to play a more controlled game. Because when you run out of that adrenaline... You know, they're not going to whack him and take him out and injure him as easily. So I think that bringing Auschwitz's calm into the starting 11 was the right move. And then at, at halftime, it was the right move as well. They had to sacrifice Romario, who was playing a very, um, is playing a very good game, a, a very competent game. But he was, you know, he was on a yellow as well, as was Enzo. And this was a tough decision, but, but Roger Schmidt, Got it 100% right. Enzo Fernandez has been one of the best players in the team, in the league this season. He's such a crucial piece of what Benfica do well. But Roger Schmidt realized that if he kept him in this match with the emotions flying as high as they are, that he was gonna, it was going to be hard to keep, to keep 11 guys on, on the pitch. So three substitutes right at halftime. And this is brilliant player management. Ulian Draxler, I know it didn't work out, but he comes. it's still the right move to make. He comes on for Enzo Fernandez. David Nersh comes on for Dromari, like we said, and Gilberto for Alexander Ba. Sergio Conceição on the other bench makes no changes despite the red card. He keeps it going the way he has it. And um, we get Befica in the second half more in control. Porto uh, starting to run out of gas a bit. Porto starting to rely more and more on on just hunkering down and looking more and more um, accepting or looking more and more ready to play for the draw. Now, I know you could see it that when they came out to take the pitch for the second half and only one booked player from Benfica was left, it was like they'd wasted all that work getting Benfica's players booked in the first half. They knew it was now unlikely they were going to get any kind of reaction out of, out of the Viking, out of, out of Frederick Auschnitz. And they're looking at each other like, now what do we do? How do we get someone sent off? How do we make this 10 v 10? How do we beat this team 10 on 11? Um, lack of direction, lack of connection, lack of ideas from Porto. They're really not that good of a team. Okay, They really are not that good of a team. They play terrible football. They rely on set pieces mostly. They rely on athleticism, on physicality. And when you take that away, guess what? 
they're not that good and they're not that creative and they have a very hard time coming up with with other ideas and that's why you see the frustration you see from them in this second half that's why you see the the morons like taremi and and otavio losing their minds in the second half and it was and it showed more than anything when you see when sergio conceição has to go to the bench just how short that bench is i mean there is not much he, he used his only valid substitution up in the 67th minute. Gabriel Veron would come on for Ivan Nielsen. Um, that was a few minutes after Ulian Draxler would go down injured, holding his left hamstring. And again, Roger Schmidt does does it uh, does a good thing here. He brings on a striker. He brings on a, a, a big, solid number nine in, in Petr Musa. And now he's playing with twin strikers. Uh, in Petr Musa and in Gonzalo Ramos with Rafa more free, getting into more spaces in between the lines, drifting right, drifting left, wherever he needs to get to to do the most amount of damage he can do to this Porto back line, which is not a very good back line. Let, let's be honest, especially without Pep in there, uh, without the assassin, they they are uh, they are not they are a shell of what what we have in our minds of Porto. If not for the psychological aspect of going into this stadium and struggling with this team for so many years, the, so many years of intimidation, if we overcame that mental block and we're, we're getting there and Roger Schmidt really was able to attack that mental block, that mental uh, processes, processes that really have made it difficult to play at this stadium for the last couple of years, um, we saw a Porto quickly, quickly, quickly run out of ideas and uh they didn't know what to do and it really showed just how average at best they are they have a a number of mediocre players in this team and uh they bring on Wendell for Sanusi that that's not going to do anything Tony Martinez is a decent forward but Galeno underwhelming all he accomplished was getting Bob booked once he failed his objective of getting anybody sent off um in the 72nd minute we finally get it, um, and and it finally comes together. It's a brilliant play. Okay, it's a brilliant play. It's a nice buildup. Rafa finds Nedish. Nedish uh, gives it back to Rafa. Rafa runs at space. They're going down the left side, uh, the left side of the the left center channel, if you will. And then at the at the precise moment, Rafa plays the ball through into space for Nedish. Nedish drops it back to Rafa. Rafa. Doesn't control it at first. Actually has to turn his back, receive it, turn all the way around the ball, and then fire it to the far post. But he does it. He puts it far post, out of the reach of Diogo Costa and out of the reach of David Carmo. And it's too bad Carmo didn't get his hand on this and, and get himself sent off as well and have Porto have to... I would have taken my chances with, with one of these guys. With Auschwitz, I would think he took the best penalty kick in the shootout uh, from the spot. Going up 1-0, and Porto with nine men, it would have been even sweeter. But but this is fine. Uh, the ball goes in the net. Uh, the linesman quickly puts his flag up for offside. But it doesn't take long for anyone watching at home to see that the VAR could not could not uphold this goal. There was a, Even in this stadium against this team, the VAR could not help him. Video a Porto could not, could not stamp its, its uh, name on this one. They had to overturn the, the ruling and validate the goal, and they did that. And the and I'm telling you, those Neanderthals didn't know what to do. 
they were out of it. They gave up. Um, they'd have a few chances late, but Rafa, the hero in this one, Benfica go up 1-0, 72nd minute. And again, like I said, uh, Sergio Conceição would go to his bench in the 77th. Tony Martinez and Wendell come on for Galeno and for Zaidu. Uh, Grimaldo would get, would get booked in the 80th. And Gilberto would get booked in the 90th. Uh, uh, the final substitution from Benfica. I thought we were going to see John Brooks in this one. I really, I thought we were going to go to three center backs to, to, because John Brooks is uh, very good at defending in the air. And Porto resorting to the only thing they know how to do, lob high balls into the box and hope to get on the end of them. Um, once again, Taremi nowhere to be found. Okay, He was completely useless after that 15 minute, 15th minute header. And um, instead, Roger Schmidt goes with Mihalo Ristic for, for Rafa Silva in the 90th plus three. And it makes sense. He puts him at defense because he's fresh. Okay. Um, Porto's got a little bit of speed down that right flank. So uh, Ristic plays as the left back. Grimaldo steps forward into a left midfield role, plays kind of almost like a defensive left midfielder, if you will, playing almost the way George Zuz did last year with two left backs, um, but now Ristich being fresh uh, made it much harder for them to just run by him, and in a last gaze, in a last gasp effort, with this, I can't believe that with, with uh, you know, on the verge of going down six points, the best option Porto have off the bench is Rodrigo Conceição. Rodrigo Conceição, the coach's son, a wingback, you can call him a winger. He's, he, he's again hardly even a player for the only reason he's on Porto is because he's cheap and because they have no money and because right now they can't sign the level of player they're used to. This is a guy that belongs at Chihuahua. This is a guy that, with all due respect, belongs at Famalicão, not at Porto. And uh, that's the best they've got. And when you see that, you know that Porto are in trouble. And um, again, no ideas. No ideas. They 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 lob the ball forward, uh, very little. Looking for looking for a set piece all the time. Looking for a free kick, but and from there, little in the way of opportunities. As the referee finally will blow his whistle for full time, ninety plus eight. And uh, I don't think Porto are going to complain that that there was too much stoppage time in this one. Do you? No, I don't think so. Let's listen to uh, to the manager. Let's listen to Roger Schmidt's flash interview. Following the match, this is in English, obviously, so no translation needed. Uh, here's his full flash interview. Good evening, Mr. Schmidt. Uh, sometimes when we look at you on the bench, you look like cold as ice, but today wasn't exactly like that. How do you feel now after such an emotional match? Yeah, we are very happy because it was a very important win for us. <clears throat> that was our goal. Very difficult match, so... Um, was difficult to control uh, the game um, already in the first half. A lot of long balls, and um, Porto did it well. So to to play more in our half than in their half, and we were not that good in the game. But then after 10, 10, 15 minutes, I think we we were better in the game. We had some some moments. Then the the yellow red card. Um, then I think we, we before the halftime, um, we were not able to, to use this opportunity in a good way to, to control the game, to have a lot of ball possession. In the second half, we knew that it's still difficult because um, 
we knew also the atmosphere will be uh, very difficult and I'm very proud of my players. They controlled their, their emotions. Um, we knew we will get some chances and we only have to score one goal and we have to defend in a good way. So I think at the end it was not a beautiful football game, but for today this doesn't matter. So today only the three point, uh, points count and I think uh, we deserve to win. That 15 minutes before the half-time, uh, Benfica had one player more on the field, but the team was not comfortable. How important was for you to speak with players in, in the Yeah, it was very important. It was a little bit, uh, yeah, like I said, so we, we were not able to play our game. Um, and um, so a lot of hectic on the on the pitch um, and uh, a lot of emotions, a lot of free kicks, a lot of long balls and then you are, we, we played too quick forward instead of keeping the ball and we talked about that in the halftime and after halftime I think we did it better. We controlled also our nerves and um, and then we played um, a good game and of course you need also some luck then in these, in these games but at the end I think um, we showed um, that we are also able to win football games with a completely different task than normal. Normally we want to play better football, want to create more chances and then to deserve to win today was completely different. Today only win the game, doesn't matter how. When you changed that three players on the off time, you were thinking more about tactical uh, things no, or you were no, thinking no. more about the yellow cards and only the danger? Only yellow cards. Um, in the last minutes, I believe you you want to see a different match too because Benfica conceded some free kicks. I saw you on the bench, uh, not very comfortable with that too. Yeah, of course. I think uh, Porto did it well, so they 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 know how to get free kicks, um, and I think sometimes we could be a little bit more smart in these duels. And um, but at the end. It was not so so clever to give them so many set pieces at the end, but at the end, but it was also very positive that we were able to defend all these set pieces in a good way. And so, yeah, it was until the last second difficult, but at the end we have the three points. Does leaving Dragon uh, six points ahead gives you uh, extra comfort? Yeah, it's just, uh, it was clear before the match when we are able to win today then we have six uh, uh, points ahead but it is the tenth match day it's not like it's a, it's a decision but nevertheless it was a statement of the players uh, to win um, against um, a very good um, opponent and there you hear it from the man himself roger schmidt and uh you hear what a good coach says what a good manager says after a win um or a loss you know he gave credit to the other team he said they were a difficult opponent and a difficult uh, stadium. He talked about, you know, the the things that happened in the match. Um, gave, you know, he gave credit to his opponent, gracious victor. Um, also claiming there, as you saw the, as you could hear, I should say, the reporter asking about the substitutions at halftime if they were at all tactical or if they were only due to the yellow cards. And he says, no, 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 all about the yellow cards. Roger Schmidt knew exactly what he was walking into. Uh, last year, Georges Zouj and Nelson Verissimo did not in these situations. Last year, Nelson Verissimo left Andre Almeida on the pitch long enough to get sent off. Keep that in mind. He left him out there when he was a com when he had completely lost his mind. This week, this year, I should say, not the same mistake made by Roger Schmidt. I think he knew exactly what they were walking into. Uh, it's his first experience of a a. Big Clásico in Portuguese football. And I think he passes the test, obviously, with flying colors. And, uh, you know, just just a, a gracious winner. Now, let's contrast that with 
the coach on the other end, if you will. Uh, real quick, here is a question. It's in Portuguese. I'll translate it before we hear what Sergio had to say to sort of respond to this question from the journalist. Sérgio Conceição, boa noite. Marco Elas, estamos em direto para a RTP3. Eu perguntava-lhe se há aqui dois jogos, um até aos 27 minutos, e pegando naquilo que o Sérgio tinha dito na antevisão, que era um jogo previsivelmente equilibrado, a partir daí se, se tornou desequilibrado por causa da expulsão, e se o Porto, no seu entender, podia ter feito mais com o que fez, ou fez aquilo que podia? So, it's a very straightforward, run-of-the-mill, normal question to get post-match uh, from in the presser. He, uh, the journalist asks Sérgio Conceição, if this is the proverbial tale of two matches, one up till the 27th minute and one after, where, of course, at the 27th minute is the sending off of Ostakio, or, um, you know, if that's the case, and then he says, after all this, to, to just generalize, when all is said and done, did Porto do everything that they could, or or was there more Porto could have done today? Okay, um, just to, to summarize what he's saying, paraphrase, if you will. and then. Sergio begins to talk low, talk quiet, and tries to build up his team and tries to uh, divert the question and then completely goes off the deep end. Have a listen. I don't even think a translation is necessary, but uh, here it is. Have a listen. If you, if, you're not, if you don't want to listen to this, that's cool too. Just skip ahead about a minute and a half. But uh, here's Sergio sort of responding to that question. All right. Um... Esta, 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 esta é daquelas, daquelas derrotas que eu, sinceramente, há pouca, há pouca, dentro do muito há pouca coisa a dizer. Eu estou extremamente orgulhoso, penso das três equipas, fomos a equipa mais competente, a equipa mais corajosa, a equipa que, que procurou mais ganhar o jogo de uma forma limpa, com uma intensidade grande, contra uma equipa que, que sabíamos também que, que estava num bom momento, Mas eu tenho que realçar aquilo que foram os 95 minutos dos meus jogadores, o esforço que fizeram, a competência que tiveram, nunca baixando os braços, criando situações para ganhar o jogo e não para empatá-lo, mesmo reduzidos a 10 elementos. E é aquilo que eu tenho a dizer sobre o jogo, não há muito mais. Depois, todo o resto, vocês puderam assistir. Um, e é isto uh, eu estou muito orgulhoso muito orgulhoso da coragem da competência uh, da qualidade que nós temos da qualidade que nós temos uh, o campeonato não acabou, estamos à décima jornada eu já uh, não fui campeão com sete pontos de vantagem, já fui campeão com sete pontos atrás, nós estamos aqui para dar luta vamos dar luta e vamos fazer tudo para ganhar este campeonato porque merecemos, porque somos melhores Alright, so that was Sérgio Conceição speaking to the media taking only one question in his press conference and storming off without even really answering that question or addressing the reporter's question. But here is what he said um, in that diatribe there, in that monologue. Um, and I quote after, or I should say after hearing the question that I translated for you just a moment ago. Uh, and I quote, these are the types of defeats that I sincerely have little to say about. This is a proud moment. I think of the three teams on the field. This is a Portuguese expression. Talk about the three teams, meaning uh, in this case, Porto, Benfica, and the referees. Of the three teams, we were the most competent. We were the more courageous. We were the ones that looked to win. Um, that looked to win more by a clean means. 
We looked more for the victory by a clean means, he says. With a lot of intensity against a team that is in a good run of form. But I have to reiterate what happened uh, in the 95 minutes for my players, their effort, their competence. He repeats himself a lot. Never dropping our arms, seeking the... My handwriting is horrible. <laughs> seeking the solutions to win the game, even after being reduced to 10 men. That's all I have to say about this. There's nothing more. Then you guys can take this with you as well. I'm proud of the courage, competence, and quality in our side. The league is not over. It's, uh, we are only at round 10. I have already been champion with a seven-point lead at this stage in the past. And I've been champion after trailing seven points at this stage. As his voice is raising here. And you can hear his irritation. Uh, he then goes, we are in a fight. We are here to fight. And we will fight. And we will do everything. Because we deserve to be champions. Or we deserve to win, is to be more precise. And we are the best as he storms off. And an overdramatic, um, <laughs> really incompetent uh, analysis of the match. He showed in this press conference that he either refuses or has no ability to actually analyze what happened on the pitch. Um, and he shows in this moment exactly why this is the crowning moment of his coaching career. He will never reach this level. As a manager, he'll never reach a higher level than he is at this garbage club in the north of Portugal. Okay, this club where he played Okay, where he embodies the mentality, where he embodies the just the smallness, the Napoleon complex, the inferiority complex, where he embodies the dystopian view of football as a war, as a battle. And listen, I have many times commended both the manager, Sergio Conceição, and Football Club de Porto on all of these things that he's saying here. Their courage, their fight, their willingness, their belief. They, no one has ever disputed any of that. You can put the worst FC Porto team you've ever seen on the pitch and they are going to give you all of that because it's in their DNA. Nobody is doubting that. However, when you have a football match to talk about, there are things that happen in a football match, and it's not all about fighting. It's not all about clawing. It's not all about will. It's also about ability. And just as after minute 15, just as his players showed very little ability to do anything other than their one trick that they know, their one way that they know how to play, Sergio Conceição shows he manages the exact same way. They really are a spitting image of their manager. He only knows one way to manage. He only knows how to talk about raça, how to talk about fight, how to talk about blood and sweat and tears, and how to always protect his players. What he's doing, um, the biggest thing, he's, he's, he's got two goals in this, in this um, outburst, if you will, and, and neither of them is to analyze the match or answer the question. His goals are very simple. He's protecting his players from criticism, uh, especially Ustakiu. Okay, he's putting the attention on himself so that tomorrow, when the papers write—well, in this case, so that on Monday—but in any in any night, so that the next day the papers are focused more on his words than on the poor play of his players, or even the poor quality. He talks about the quality. If he truly believes that this team that he has in front of him has 
more quality than Benfica, then he is even more incompetent of a manager than you would than one would think. And I don't believe that he is an incompetent manager. I believe he knows exactly what he's doing here. Um, and he goes back to the he just goes back to the fight, back to the the war analogies, if you will. Um, with no no talk about the system of play, no talk about how his midfield was non-existent, no talk about how his his star striker was missing for for seventy five minutes, um, no talk about how one of the really key link up players in his midfield was was wasted stabbing at a ball he didn't need to stab at, getting picking up two yellow cards. Think about this, Oshtaku, as important as he is to their play, picks up two yellow cards. In his attacking third. How do you let that happen? That is poor coaching at that point. When you're pressing like that with no control, that is poor coaching. And what Sergio's doing is putting up a smoke screen. And he is, you know, he is hiding all of this behind the smoke screen, behind his temper, behind his words, behind his criticisms of everyone except his own team. He is literally, I've said this before, and I will stand by this statement. Sergio Conceição is the Portuguese Simeone. He is 1,000% the Portuguese El Cholo. He does the same exact things. He uses the same exact uh, tactics. The same exact off-the-pitch nonsense. And he, he talks about everything like it's a war. He talks about it like it's a fight. And there's an element of that in football. I'm not denying that, and, and, and I actually appreciate that. But he's completely disregarding every other facet of the game. And this is what he does when he loses. He is easily the worst loser any of us have seen. And, well, I, there's the old saying where you show me a good loser and I'll show you a loser. So there, there is some truth to that. But again, just absolutely no class, no mention uh, of the quality of the uh, of Befica. Other than that, we're in a good moment. He he just gets outplayed like this and goes on to say that they have the best team. The truth is they cannot compete with us in the market for players. That's why they they buy within the league. They don't have the means and the resources to compete in the open free market, the international market, the Latin American market, the European market, Eastern European, Northern Europe, you, you name it. They cannot compete in those markets with us. They cannot. They get one here or there, but they rely on getting the Oshtakus from Pastor Fajeda. They rely on getting the, the Zaidus from Porto Bonense. They rely on getting the Teremis from Riuab. The Otavius from Victoria Guimarães. Okay, uh, he knows that he's not a fool. He knows that, and he's turning and he's trying to use that to to motivate his team. The other goal he has in this little speech is to put more pressure on the referees going forward. He mentioned the three teams because he wanted to make sure that he showed his disapproval of the referees without explicitly saying it. Now. Apparently, he was sent off in this match as well. Uh, he was shown the red card at the end, making it his 20th, yes, 2-0, 20th red card in the Liga Portugal. And you tell me what league on planet Earth has a coach or a manager being sent to the stands, being red carded 20 times in his career without any real, real punishment, without any real suspension. He gets away with this time and time and time and time again. Because of the politics of Portuguese football and the fact that for what Football Club do 
Davenport lack in footballing quality, what they lack for in, in support, they make up for in political power. They are the most politically powerful club in the Portuguese league and in Portuguese football, as you can see. They get cup finals moved when they put enough pressure. They, they, they pressure referees. They make all kinds of under-the-table ugly deals. Uh, you know, Just look at the transactions between them and Portimonense over the past several years. They get away with everything because they are very politically powerful. They're not that powerful on the pitch anymore, and they're breaking. I do believe they're breaking. Their shell is breaking. Their financial troubles are well-documented year after year after year, and that is why I root against them in the Champions League. It has nothing to do with the stupid coefficient. I could care less. I want this team financially hurt. I want them to pay for this. I want them to pay for the tactics they use. I want them to lose out on signing players. I want them to continue to do that so that all they can do is put a ragtag team of, of, of players out there, the Otavios of the world that can go out and hack and fight and scream at the referee and, and do everything else but play good football. Yeah, I hope they lose. I hope they go out of Europe. I don't want them to go out of Europe. I want them to go into the Europa League where they're forced to play more games with more travel on Thursday nights, furthering the strain on their team. Okay. Um, they have, you know, they, they have a, a, a media presence in which, you know, our players are, are thrown under the bus and are disrespected in the press. Thanks to journalists that are allies of theirs, you know, whether it's João Felix, he's no good. Gerardo Sanchez is no good. Ruben Dias is no good. You, you, you name it. Okay, now it's, it's, it's Enzo and it's, and, you know, Gonzalo Ramos and Antonio Silva. They've been all over Antonio Silva. The media will not let this kid rest. It all comes from this, the way that this club does its business. It's dirty. It's ugly. It's bad for football. It's bad for Portuguese society as a whole. And nothing makes me happier than watching these scumbags lose. I enjoyed this thoroughly. And I'm glad that Sergio Conceição is upset. I hope they lose in the Champions League um, on Wednesday. I hope they drop more points. I hope the pressure continues to build. And I hope they can't take it. And I hope they watch us. Nothing makes them more angry than watching us celebrate. Uh, they're talking like, oh, like we think we won the league. Nobody said we won the league. You notice in our locker room celebrations, we were not singing insults at them. That's their style. We were singing our anthem. When they win, by any means necessary, with referee help, with VAR assistance, it's uh, the big line is Shora Bebe, calling us babies, telling us we're crying. When they lose, it's oh centralismo. Oh, oh. It's, it's the same old. It's contra tudo e contra todos, against everyone and anyone. They're not against everyone and anyone. They have everyone and anyone in their pockets. And they still lost. And they still have a garbage roster right now with below-par players, mediocre players. And yes, they have a diving machine at striker. They, they win a lot on penalties and set pieces. And I can't wait to see this diving machine exposed at the FIFA World Cup when he plays for his country. and. I'm predicting he misses the third game of the group stage because he'll already been booked twice for diving because he is a diver. There is no question. He's a chief. Nino Torres said it himself on Goal TV. I don't know if he realizes he said this or not, but there was a moment where Taremi had the ball holding up in the box, and he says 
Be careful. Uh, I think he was, talking, he was mentioning Antonio Slow. He says, careful, Tony. He goes, that one f does magic tricks to go down in the box. That is the truth. They don't, they don't answer questions about that. They don't answer questions about Otavio throwing a punch at, at Gonzalo Ramos. They don't answer questions about that. Because this is all what they do. Sergio gets up there, does this little spiel, does this little, this little performance. This was a performance from Sergio Conceição. He knows exactly what he's doing. And this allows his team to keep playing the same barbaric form of football that they have been playing for years. Maybe for their, you know, for the last 40 years. Yeah, they've had good teams and they've had good players, but give me a break. You're going to compare this ragtag bunch of bums that they have right now to the Falcons and the James Rodriguez's and the Fuchiles and the Belushis and... Uh, you go back further to the Benny McCarthy's, the Dekus. You're gonna compare? Come on. This this is a a subpar team. It was one nothing, partially because of luck in this match. Okay, Rafa hits the post with his head uh, early, not early, but in the first half. Okay, there were other opportunities. Alshness hits the post. There were opportunities to easily win this game with a little bit of luck. Win this game, three or four to nil. Um, yes, we could have been behind as well, but again. Um, that was their one real opportunity to play. Let's look at the stats before uh, we move on. Um, again, let, let's uh, take a look at it. And even before stats, let's look at player ratings. I'll start with the home side with the rivals. Uh, Diogo Costa gets a 6.9. This is according to FOTMOB. Uh, not the. This is not according to goal point this week. We'll talk. We'll use FOTMOB today. Uh, Diogo Costa six point nine. Pepe six point nine. I don't know for what he was. He didn't do anything all match. I mean, he really was not dangerous at any point. Um, Fabio Cardoso six point three. David Carmo six point six. Zaidu Sanusi six point four. Otavio gets a seven point five. Um, Uribe six point six. Ostaku four point nine. Hard to get a good rating when you're sent off 27 minutes in. Galeno, 6.3. Evan Nielsen, 6.0. And Teremi, 6.2. Benfica's ratings, on the other hand. Uh, Odie, 8.3 in goal. Very good performance. Again, save of the season there in minute number 15. Uh, Alexander Ba, 6.9. Uh, only playing a half. Not bad at all. Antonio Silva, 7.6. Otamendi, 7.5. Grimaldo, 8.1. Uh, Enzo Fernandez, 6.4. Florentino Luiz with an 8.2 in this one. He recovered very well from his early jitters. João Mario, 6.1. Rafa, 8.7. Auschwitz, according to this, 6.7. But for me, I thought he was one of, if not the best player in this match. I thought Auschwitz was fantastic. And in the second half, going centrally and covering for uh, taking the spot of Enzo Fernandez does it very, very well. And Gonzalo Ramos with a 6.9. I know he's not everyone's favorite, but understand that Gonzalo Ramos is there. Less to be the goal scorer and more to be the first point of defense, the, the high-pressing center forward. Um, again, you go back through... through through Roger Schmidt's teams over the years, and you see that a lot of his goals don't come from his striker. Okay, that's not really what he uses a striker for in this system. The reason it's always Gonzalo Ramos playing is because, again, he is doing what the manager asks. Okay, um, off the bench, we had uh, David Nerj come on in 
and he earned a 7.2 off the bench. Draxler had a 6.2 in only 15 minutes of play. That's that's pretty impressive. Um, Musa 6.2 coming in in the 63rd, and Gilberto 6.3. Uh, let's look at the stats now. Like I said, and uh, we look Benfica with 70% possession in this one to Porto's 30, an xG of 1.9 to Porto's 0.92. 13 total shots for Benfica to 11 for Porto. Two big chances for Benfica to one for Porto. Um, accurate passes. It's not even a, a contest. Benfica with 453 accurate passes. 85% efficiency rate. Porto all the way down at 135 with a sixth, an abysmal 62% efficiency rating. Benfica committed more fouls. I always like when Benfica commits more fouls. Uh, it shows that they're working. It shows that they're pre that they're pressing. And that they're forcing the other team to to adjust to them. Um, again, just uh, if you got much better in the XG in the first half of 1.26. Expected goals to Porto 0.44. Expected goals second half. Uh, same for Porto. Benfica drops a little bit to 0.64. But, of course, the goal comes in the second half. And um, seven yellow cards. They're not... See, Porto's complaining and complaining and complaining. They're not complaining about the the seven. The, they're not complaining about the seven yellow cards to Benfica compared to four for for Porto. Um, again, just uh, <laughs> it's just hilarious that they actually believe this nonsense that the referees actually were against them or something. But uh, that wraps up the the match here, uh, round ten. Let's look at the table real quick. Benfica top of the table now, six points clear of Porto, 28 points. Porto with 22. Third place is Braga, also on 22. Sporting, 19 points in fourth place. Casapia uh, sit fifth with 17. Level across the board with Vitória Guimarães. Uh, they've got the same amount of goals scored, same amount of goals uh, allowed. And... Um, Sharing fifth and sixth place right now. Bovista one behind them with 16. Portimonense with 15, as is Istriel and Chaves, 8, 9, and 10th, respectively. Roca in 11th with 13. Chihuahua with 12. Uh, Vizela 13th with 11 points. And Fumalicão with 10. Gil Vicente is the last team above the line uh, in 15th place with 9 points. Santa Clara sitting in a relegation playoff spot. Uh, with eight points, but with a little bit of breathing room between them and the automatic drop spots belonging to Passos de Ferreira, who who have now sacked, uh, who have now sacked their manager Cesar Peixoto, while Maritimo are 18th. Both of those teams on two points. Maritimo with the worst goal difference. We'll look at now the matchups for next week. Round 11 starts on Friday. Passos Ferreira hosting Maritimo. This is a six-pointer between the two teams at the bottom. Uh, neither can afford to not get three points here if they want to have, if they want to get within uh, distance of that 16th place. Saturday, Santa Clara host Porto in the Azores in São Miguel, and hopefully, uh, hopefully they'll get confused, think they're playing Benfica. And uh, drop some more points. <laughs> Benfica hosts Shavj on Saturday, 1 o'clock Eastern Time here in the United States. That's 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 6 p.m. Lisbon Time. And then in the nightcap Saturday, Oroca 
hosting Sporting on Sunday. Boa Vista host Vizela, Porto Monense host Estoril, uh, Casa Pia host Rio Ave, Gil Vicente hosting Braga, and then Monday the round will, will close with a Minho Derby between Vitória Guimarães and Famalicão. The league leaders right now in scoring, it is Benfica's Gonçalo Ramos, who sits atop the scoring list right now, but he shares that spot with two other players, sharing it with Gil Vicente's Fran and uh, Sporting's Pot, all with six goals, as we said, and then four players with five. That's Abdulaziz Yakubu of, of Rio Ave, Rafa, our Rafa, Simon Banza of Braga, and Mehdi Taremi of Ball Club de Porto, and then six players tied with four goals each. Evan Nielsen, Hector Hernandez, Nuno Santos, Vitor Oliveira, uh, Ricardo Horta, and another Benfica player there, João Mario. All right, that wraps up the Portuguese league for this week. Uh, again, Benfica will play this weekend at home against Chaves. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. Here is, during the break, here's what it sounded like leaving the Estadio do Ladrão on Friday night. Uh, here's the sound of the Benfica fans, courtesy of Fura Ridge uh, on YouTube. And uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about the Juventus match, okay? Uh, this is going to be a long one. I do apologize. Uh, maybe you can cut it in two. Take a break if you want and come back later. But uh, on the other side of this break, we will break down Benfica's uh, UEFA Champions League Group Stage Match Day 5 Showdown at the Luge with Juventus. This is Mr. Benfica. I'm the Mr. Michael Cristinho. Follow the show on Instagram at, at Mr. Benfica and on Twitter at Benfica Mr. And of course, check out the website www.mrbenfica.com. I'll be right back. <laughs> to Mr. Benfica, episode 147. It's Champions League night, as you know. You hear the music, you know what that means. Match day five in the group stage. In the books for Benfica now, and it is official. Benfica on the way back to the round of 16, two years in a row. And this has certainly been, uh, undeniably, the top performance maybe ever in a group stage of the Champions League for Benfica as we sit on 11 points now after five matches. Level on points with PSG and um, still with an outside chance here to win the group if we win by either by enough goals, which now is going to be very hard to do to outscore PSG on match day six. But if we win and Juventus somehow uh, managed to steal a point from PSG in, in Turin, on the final day of the group stage then we can still win this group but nonetheless uh the objective has been reached mission accomplished benfica back to the round of 16 we know what that means financially for the club i tend to agree with the guys on uh ball and ahead a portuguese language podcast and youtube show 
I was watching a little bit of it as soon as the match ended. Uh, that this this does mean I think Befica, and I think we saw this tonight. Befica needs to go to the transfer market, and they need a few more pieces if we are going to make a real run at this uh, UEFA Champions League round of 16. If we're really going to push for it, um, try to get at least back to the quarterfinals. Of course, that's real easy to say right now when we haven't even had a draw yet. We don't know who we're going to draw and expectations need to be kept under control at least until we know uh, who we're going to see in the round of 16. However, tonight our opponents at the Lujor La Vecchia Signora of Italy. I'm talking, of course, about the one and only Juventus. Earlier in the day, uh, Benfica's defense of the UEFA Youth League title came to an end. Benfica hosting Juventus in U19 at the Seychelles earlier today. Benfica were up 2-0 at the half with goals from Ugu Felix and from Luis Semedo. But uh, Juve comes storming back in the second half with three goals to steal the points and um, eliminate Benfica from contention to the next phase. And so Benfica will bow out of this year's UEFA Youth League at the group stage. One match left to play, of course, just like the senior team at Dina, uh, no, I'm sorry, at Maccabi Haifa. Now, for a moment tonight, Benfica were top of the table in the group. It was it was literally just a moment, and then Mbappe said, give me that ball, and he found the far post beating Josh Cohen in Paris, and just like that, PSG were back on top and uh, never looked back. But again, big win tonight for Benfica, beating Juventus 4-3 at the Stadio de Luz. It should not have been that close. It should have been a 5 or even 6-1 to one win tonight. But again, I, I do. I, this does give some interesting talking points about this. Because if nothing else, I'm actually... A part of me is concerned that we gave up you know, two goals inside of three minutes to make this a very nervy ending. But... At the same time, I'm kind of glad it happened because it reminds us that we're not invincible and that we can need to stay focused and need to continue to push on and need to continue to look for goals. Uh, we were starting to play around a little too much for my liking. I mean, it's great to, to connect passes. It's great to control the game. It's great to have the ball. But in this one, um, when it was at 4-1, Befica squandered a few chances to make it 5-1. The, the, the rhythm dropped. The intensity dropped, the urgency disappeared, and then just like that, Juventus makes a few substitutions, and next thing you know, it's 4-3, and this one had to be defended well to the end. But then, you know, the adversity may have been good for us, as uh, it showed Benfica has the character to hang on and to not panic when things start to go south, which other Benfica teams at other times would have would have let this one slip. Uh, and I don't get the sense that the fan base really lost their confidence in the team either when it went to 4-3. Uh, the stadium went quiet a little, but I just don't get... Uh, getting the sense now as I'm looking at the message boards and I'm watching you know, the YouTube shows and, and peeking in at some of the podcasts, seems like everyone's pretty pleased with this performance. From if you can, I'm pleased with the performance up to about the 60-65 the minute mark. Um, I think that Roger Schmidt may have waited too long to make a substitution in this one. But then again, I thought about it, and I think his options are a bit limited right now. With Ulian Draxler injured, um, you know, there are limited options to come in 
to a game like this. And I think he, he opted to stick with these guys and to try to control the game. And again, it just fell apart there for about three minutes. But uh, let's look at the lineups then today. Stadio de Luz, as you know, the final group stage Champions League game at the Luz for this uh, for this season. 60,131 in the house tonight. That is a huge crowd on a Tuesday night. Uh, a lot of this is obviously the enthusiasm on the back end of beating Porto on Friday. But uh, the referee tonight was Serjan Jananovic uh, of Serbia. Let's take a look. So we got lineups. We'll start with the visitors from Italy. Juventus, they go with Skezny in goal. They're playing 3-5-2, as always, for, Ma for Max Allegri. And you got to wonder how much longer Massimo Allegri is going to be in charge of La Vecchia Signora. But uh, we'll, have to, we'll have to wait and see. They really, this is a big financial hit for them going out of the Champions League at the group stage. And they're not quite in the Euro. They're not guaranteed to be in the Europa League yet either. If they go get absolutely thumped by by PSG in match day six, they could find themselves out of Europe altogether. Um, he starts, as I said, with Skezny in goal. Gatti gets his first start uh, in the Champions League this season as the right center back. Uh, Bonucci is the deep-lying center back, and Danilo, the left center back, the five in midfield. Cuadrado on one flank as the right wing back. Uh, Kostic on the other, and then you have the three-man center midfield uh, trio of of uh, Manuel Locatelli, Adrian Rabio, and Weston McKinney. The American um, gets another start here for the Nerazzurri. Vlahovic and Moise Keen are the strikers in this 3-5-2. For Roger Schmidt's Benfica side, there are no surprises. You've got Odie in goal once again. You've got Ba starting at right back, Antonio Silva and Otamendi in the center of the back line with Grimaldo starting on the left. Double pivot as always, as it has been all season up to now. Uh, Florentino Luiz and Enzo Fernandez. The three in front of him, a line of three in front of them, I should say. And it's it's Freddy Auschnitz once again. Frederick Auschnitz playing brilliant football. I mean, he is just a fantastic footballer. I can't I can't stress this enough. Match after match, week after week, I can't stress the quality in this player, the the calm, the the just fantastic foot skills and great vision of this Norwegian player that uh we were so fortunate to to get our hands on this offseason and again great job by Roger Schmidt getting him in here knowing the player from the Dutch Eredivisie. Joe Mario also maybe having the best season of his career right now. He was he was fantastic tonight. I think this was the best perhaps match I've seen Joe Mario play in a Benfica uniform. He was very very good and smooth on the ball all night long, feeding in uh, passes to to his teammates and beating players on the run even when necessary. Always taking the ball into open space, always finding space, always knowing where everybody is and just doing everything so well and so smooth. Very, very good performance tonight from João Mario. Rafa, of course, gets the start in the number 10 position behind Gonzalo Ramos. And Rafa, to no surprise, is the man of the match tonight with two goals. Should have had four, to be perfectly honest with you. He should have had four. He ends up with two. Uh, he left the pitch kind of frustrated because he didn't get that hat trick. 
at the end, which would have finished the match off and saved us a lot of stress in the closing moments. But still, nonetheless, fantastic performance from Rafa Silva. And it's possible that he's also on his be the best form of his career as well. Um, he certainly has not dropped a step since announcing his retirement from international football. Uh, noticeable was that Portugal manager Fernando Santos was in the crowd tonight sitting next to Tony um, in the tribuna. And if you don't know, um, Fernando Santos and Tony are actually real life, very, very good friends. Uh, so that's why you saw them sitting together. Okay. Maybe you could come out the gate playing and, and playing well. And in the 17th minute, it didn't take long. It was Antonio Silva getting his first senior goal. And what a time to do it in the Champions League. Again, on the heels of so much criticism, on the heels of so much doubt, he shushes the haters here as he slides on his knees after scoring and celebrates with his teammates. You see the entire team mobbing him. A nice ball sent in by Enzo Fernandez off of a short corner. And it was, it was a, a fantastic goal for, uh, for Antonio Silva, putting Benfica in the lead in the 17th minute. And then from nowhere, really from nowhere, Juventus level on the 21st minute. And this one, I had my doubts about this goal because, uh, well, I, I, there's still some explaining that needs to be done. As the ball was played in, and it was flicked to the far post by Danilo. Dusan Vlahovic he heads it. He's onside. There's no question about Vlahovic's positioning. He's onside. Odi makes the original save. Vlahovic uh, gets another swing at it. He skims it straight up into the air. And at first, the goal was given to Vlahovic. The there was a long VAR review. And I assumed that the ball crossed the line off Vlahovic's foot because otherwise, um, when Moisa Keane kicks this one into the goal, if that ball is not in and he kicks it, I don't see how he was not offside on this one. So I don't know how that goal was was uh, verified with with once it was credited to Moisa Keane. But after halftime, we were told that the goal had been changed from Vlahovic to Keane, somehow onside. I'll have to look at this one again. Um, no, you just this was a tough one, but but. Just a few minutes later, Benfica would pull it back in a controversial goal of their own. It wasn't really controversial for me. For me, this is a handball all day on Cuadrado. But uh, the English language commentator on CBS Sports, of course, courtesy of the World Feed, didn't agree. Thought it was "quote unquote" harsh. I'm looking at it like, well, harsh is not is not really a relevant term because the ball, the the player's hand prevents the ball from falling into the path of Auschwitz. Auschwitz unable to, to take the ball into the box. So the hand is used in a defensive in a defensive manner and an a defensive advantage is one using the hand. And so for me, especially with the VAR review, that that for me is is handling the ball all day. Of course this is one of those rules that is just not clear and is not applied uniformly around the world. It's it's a handball in one country and not in another. Uh, the the announced team didn't seem to agree with the call, but I believe that if you don't call this, then um you know he he ends up using his hand to to defend a play. So 
in my book, that is that is handling the ball, but I am not a referee, so um, I will have to cede to the to the experts on that one or concede to the experts. But anyhow, the referee and the VAR review it, and they uphold the penalty. João Mario steps up. He sends Skezny one way and the ball the other. It is two to one in the twenty eighth, and uh, a little bit of the air out of the sails of Juventus after this goal. I think uh, they were getting confident. They were back in it. Their fans were loud. You could hear the traveling Juventus supporters, Juventus supporters in the Tupunor part of the stadium. And then maybe the goal of the season thus far uh, comes from Rafa Silva on an assist from João Mario here in the thirty fifth minute as he's making this run down the right channel. João Mario whips in a, a brilliantly struck uh, bending cross along the ground, and Rafa does a, a heel flick of sorts. He, he lifts up his left leg and lets it hit his right and flicks it over Chesney, who is already laying on the ground trying to block the shot, and Rafa makes it 3-1 to one in what was a... Just absolute fantastic goal that I'm sure is going to make the highlight rounds all around the world tonight, tomorrow, and for the rest of the week. Uh, even if you're not a soccer fan, I feel like you are, you are going to see this goal if you're not even a football fan. It's going to make its way into your mainstream uh, consciousness. And Benfica go in to the halftime break up 3-1. to one. Allegri makes a substitution at halftime. On comes uh, Arkanjus Milik. Milik, remember, scored on Befica in the first meeting of these two teams back on match day two in Turin. Um, Keane comes off. But in the 50th, what should have iced the game, it was Rafa once again on a absolutely pristine pass, handed to him on a platter by Grimaldo. Um, the Juventus defense in complete shambles on this play. Complete, complete, complete shambles. And Rafa with his left foot just chips it over Chesney into the goal. It's 4-1. to one. And from that moment, for the next, oh, I don't know, for the next 10, 15 minutes, Benfica play some absolutely brilliant football, moving the ball around, passing it. One touch, two touch, back heel, switch, <laughs> uh, you know, chest passes, everything. They're just, the only thing they were missing was the final piece and the fifth goal that would have, you know, sent which would have just ended this match. One of the best moments was João Mario uh, on a two-on-one, crossing perfectly right onto Rafa's left foot. Rafa, however, leans back a little too much on it and sails it over the goal. And Benfica miss out on the opportunity to make it 5-1. to one. So instead, after Allegri goes to the substitutes bench one more time, on comes Matias Sole, and... Samuel Illing Jr., the young England youth international, replacing Philip Kostic while Sole replaces Vlahovic. And suddenly, Juve is, is in charge of this match. Suddenly, they're the ones creating the opportunities. They're getting into wide spaces. Alexander Bach, Bach clearly tired at this point. He's getting just blown by by Illing Jr., just really blowing by him on every play and feeding fantastic left-footed crosses into the box. And he does pick up the assist. That is Samuel Illing Jr. in the 77th minute when he finds Milik, and Milik scores against Benfica again. 4-2. I'm getting nervous here because I've seen this episode before. 
4-2 and I start saying oh, they need to they need to hold tight for the next 5 to 10 minutes because if they make this 4-3 it's going to be a very nervy nervy dangerous uh last 10 minutes and 2 minutes later after Odie makes a fantastic save on Milik the ball drops and it is it is the American Weston McKinney who ends up getting on the end of it and turning it towards goal beating the Benfica defenders who are on the goal line trying to defend it. Uh, I think it was the last one to attempt to reach for it was Antonio Silva. And it beats him. It goes into the back of the net. McKinney makes it 4-3. And now Juventus have hope again. It's the 79th minute. There's 11 minutes left in regular time plus stoppage time. Now remember, Benfica with a five-point lead on Juve at this point. So a draw is still enough for Benfica. Thus, Benfica do not panic. Roger Schmidt, though he waited, I think, I can see why he waited to make the subs. At the time, I'm saying, make some subs, make some subs. These guys are tired. But then, you know, I take a look at the substitutes bench and the options there, right? <laughs> the options today. Here's the options on the bench, okay, that were not in the game at the moment. You had uh, you had David Nedge. I thought he should have come in earlier. Uh, I would have, at 4-1, I would have brought him in. Because you knew that Juve were going to go forward and you bring in more speed to counter faster and to, to just exploit the spaces they leave in for you behind. But uh, Roger opted not to make that switch at that time. He saved it for, for later. Uh, the 81st, when it is uh, 4-3, that's when Bach comes off. Uh, Gilberto comes on and he's not even rattled. It's just uh, another day at the office for Gilberto Carlos as he comes on. And he, sh and he solidifies the defense a bit. Um, Nedj and Musa come on in the 87th. And then after that, your options, especially in midfield where I think we needed the, some some help, are just not... Um, I can see why he left those guys out there because here's your options. Chiquinho, Lucas Verissimo, Ristich, John Brooks, uh, João Victor, Paulo Bernardo, and Diogo Gonçalves, and Enrique Araujo. So... Yeah, Benfica need to go to the market to get another midfielder in the rotation. Um, in the event, if they want to really... I know there's other positions everybody wants, but you need depth in midfield. Um, we just saw Saturday, a uh, Friday, excuse me, where he had to sub out three players at halftime because of yellow cards. Okay, uh, In this one, he really didn't have the guys to bring on. And that's why you saw the trio of, of Florentino Enzo and Auschwitz stay in there, though tired and though the, the match was starting to somewhat slip away. Do you really want to bring in the Chiquinhos and the Diogo Gonçalves? I know how everyone feels about them. I don't have such strong uh, feelings against them as other people do. Um, but knowing that confidence in them is very low, do you really bring them on in a match like this with still 10 minutes to play? No, you don't. You, you trust the guys you have out there to sort it out and to relax, and to get it done. And that's what Roger Schmidt did until the 87th minute when Nedge and Musa came in, and then Chiquinho comes on in the 90th. But Benfica see out the result, though it was not uh, it was not pretty down the stretch. It was very pretty throughout, but it, down the stretch it got a little ugly. Um, the, the, the moment where it could have been made much easier is Rafa getting a, a clear breakaway. I mean, he gets the ball. In mid, still in his own half with no Juventus players in front of him. 
Uh, Alexandro tries to catch him, but Rafa knows what he's doing, and he cuts in front of him. He beats Chesney with his shot. He does well to beat him, but the ball just carries slightly wide enough to hit the post and come out, and 5-3 uh, is not attained, and therefore the match still hanging in the balance. But if you can see the result out, referee blows his whistle at, at 90 plus four minutes. Befica take all three points and, as we said, solidify their spot, clinch their spot in the round of 16. And now we wait and see. Uh, we still got an outside chance to win the group. Like I said, when Rafa put us up 4-1, we actually went top of the group for a moment. But then PSG turned it on. PSG ends up beating Maccabi Haifa 7-2 tonight. And uh, here is now the table in Group H as it stands. PSG, top of the table with 11 points, 14 goals for, 6 against. That's a plus 8 goal difference. We sit second also on 11 points, but with 10 goals for, 6 against, plus 4. So we're four. we need to either beat PSG's result by 4 goals on match day 6, or we need Juventus to take a point off of PSG to win the group. But nonetheless, if you had said this, and we say this all the time, but if you had said this uh, before this this um, group started, that we would have uh, that we would have clinched qualification to the round of 16 in match day five, nobody would have complained. And we have done that. We're still unbeaten. And, uh, you know, we got we got the next match against Maccabi Haifa to, to see it out. But... Um, Interestingly, coming down to match day six, Maccabi Haifa and Juventus, neither one has clinched their spot in the Europa League. Juventus have a sizable lead in goal difference as Juventus have a negative three goal difference, while Maccabi Haifa now negative seven thanks to today's thumping. But they're both on three points. Hey, Benfica dropped points to Maccabi Haifa. Maccabi could find their way into the Europa League round of, what is it, 24 now? The playoff round, I think they're calling it. Um, versus the round of 32 that they used to have. but So what that means is we're going to see a motivated Maccabi Haifa in Israel on match day six. And uh, yeah, they, I mean, this this is this is fantastic for Benfica. They are through. Um, and I, there are some lessons taken from this match that can definitely be learned from and I think will be learned from uh, when all is said and done. Uh, I really like the work that Roger Schmidt is doing, obviously. And he's very confident in this team. This team came into this very, very difficult group, did not change their identity, did not change the way they played, continued to play what, what they believe is Benfica football, and did not let themselves be pushed around by the PSGs and the Juventuses of the, of the world. And a very, very impressive performance going into match day six now. Uh, congratulations to everyone at Benfica. Congratulations to all you fans as well. We're going to have Champions League football in the spring, and I can't wait. Hopefully the draw is kind to us this year, and uh, hopefully we can make another deep run like we did last year. Okay, so that wraps this up. Uh, let's take a look quickly at some stats. Benfica, 54% in possession uh, to Juve's 46. Benfica with a 3.20 expected goals, outperforming their XG today. Juventus did the same with a 2.95. XG, 15 total shots from Befica, 14 from Juve, 6 big chances from Befica, 7 from Juve. Um, the two teams are pretty even everywhere else, but really, for much of this match, Befica were the only team on the pitch 
And then it, it got very, very nervy there at the end, as we've said. Um, going in, like we said, to match day six now. Uh, we'll take a look here. And match day six is scheduled for next Wednesday, November the 2nd. And it will be, uh, it will be a 4 p.m. kickoff time. Because uh, daylight savings uh, must... It must be daylight savings ending this weekend in Europe to have a 4 o'clock kickoff time, Eastern time, next Wednesday, 1 o'clock Pacific, and still uh, 8 o'clock in, in Portugal. Um, and then from there, that will be it. And, and really, it is we're getting close to the end of, uh, of this phase of the season here, guys. The, the World Cup, as you know, is under a month away now. And here's what we've got left before the World Cup break. So we've got this weekend home to Shavs, then at Maccabi Haifa, then two away matches in a row, a Sunday and then a Wednesday at Istorio, one for the league, one for the cup. And then Sunday, November the 13th, the last game before the break, uh, will host Gilles Vicente. Then Monday the 21st, the League Cup kicks off. This is going to go on during the World Cup. And in the League Cup, we will travel to the Hableda to take on Estrela da Madura on the 21st of November. On Saturday, the 26th, we'll host Penafiel. And then Saturday, December 17th, we'll have the final group stage match on the road at Moreirense. And then the League will resume Wednesday, December the 28th, on the road at Braga. So, uh... That's what we're looking at here. I can't believe we're already coming up to this World Cup stage, um, this this break. And to be honest, I'm I'm not I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of this right now. I want Benfica's playing well. I want them to keep on playing. But I heard something today that makes a lot of sense on Canal Owens, um when I was listening a couple of pointers, and they said that Benfica are in a good place because we have Roger Schmidt who is well accustomed to winter breaks, having managed in Austria and in Germany in both Bundesligas. And both of those, when you hit December, you take a, or you hit January, you take a winter break because of the weather, and you have another preseason after. So this is going to be familiar waters for Roger Schmidt and his staff, even if it's not for the players. So that that is a little bit reassuring. So I'm a little less concerned about what kind of shape we come back in. Of course, I don't want to see our players getting hurt at the World Cup. Um, if Porto players want to get injured at the World Cup, you know, Taremi, Otavio especially, hey, I won't. I By all means, that's there. Well, please do. Please help yourselves. Um, but hopefully, Befica returns in one, in one piece and we get ourselves back on track uh, when this break ends. But here we are. We're in the home stretch here of this first. Um, it's not really the first half of the season, but this first phase prior to the break that will do it for this episode okay i will be back later this week i'll be covering the women's team i'm going to recap the the match from this past weekend home to lunk villaverdense and then after the match uh, after they play their champions league match this week against bayern munich i'll also recap that so i'm looking at recording that on friday most likely because i am working i'm not working at home on Thursday, I'm not going to be able to watch the match. I'll have to watch it after work, and means I'll have to record the next day uh, at some point. And or I may I may save it until the weekend, 
and put three women's matches in that episode. I don't know what I'm going to do. Time permitting, we'll see what happens there, okay? But I hope everybody's enjoying their football. Another update. Benfica did lose tonight in Basketball Champions League. Uh, I had just pulled that up. So they have lost their first their first uh, Champions League basketball game of the regular season. So they're now 2-1. and one. They were beaten 97-78 tonight at the Pavilion Field Lidad by... Manresa. Manresa is, uh, let's see here. They are, a, let's see who they are. I, I've never heard of them, of course. <laughs> but um, again, they figure are two and one. Let's let's actually look at the, the standings real quick before we go in the Basketball Champions League. Maybe a second to Manresa right now. So it was the two 2-0 two and o teams facing off tonight. And... Um, Befica didn't get the best of it, but still in contention to advance. And that would be a huge, huge accomplishment considering this is the first time ever that a Portuguese basketball team is playing in the Basketball Champions League. So keep your head up, Befica. Keep working. Uh, the nation, Befica Nation is behind you. And uh, next up for the, the hoop team is Immortal on Saturday at the Fidelidad, and then next Wednesday, a big showdown with Oliveira. So a lot going on on the hardwood as well for Benfica. Um, so stay tuned here to Mr. Benfica for more content coming your way. And don't forget the new series I just launched. It's going to drop on Mondays uh, most of the time. Uh, I'm thinking Monday mornings will probably be the drop time for it. It's Liga 3, ain't English. I'm just going to cover the, the third division. Real quickly every week, it's it's a very fast uh, wraparound where I'll bring you all the results and the tables, and I really enjoyed doing this first one. I hope you guys all liked it as well. Again, we've all we're all Benficaishas, but we all have hometowns. I'm gonna get out of here now. I've taken up enough of your time. Thank you for sticking with me uh, through this entire long episode. Um, again, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, don't hesitate to hit me up. On Twitter, at Befica, Mr. On Instagram, at Mr. Befica. I do check my DMs, so feel free to hit me up. And also uh, check out www.mrbefica.com. And I'll be back soon with more content here on Mr. Befica, part of the PTB Media Network. I'll see you next time. This is the Mr. Mike Agustinu signing off, saying, Forza Befica, Cajaga Befica, we are Befica. And hashtag, if you love football, you love Befica. See you next time.